The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss the data signals generated by the outbreak of the coronavirus. Joining us is an old friend of the MarTech Podcast, Jeff White, who is the CEO of Gravy Analytics, which is a location intelligence firm based in D.C., which processes over 25 billion anonymous geolocation signals per day. And today, Jeff and I are going to talk about using location data to understand how the coronavirus has changed consumer behavior. Okay. Here is my conversation with Jeff White, the founder and CEO of Gravy Analytics. Jeff White, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Excited to have you back on the show. One of our earlier guests and one of our more prolific guests, you know, the first episode that you came onto the podcast and God, it's been a year or two now was like our most consumed episode for months and months and months. People really enjoy hearing about location data or you just have a great voice. Either way, we're happy to have you back on the podcast. <laughs> well, I hope to uh, keep up with uh, high expectations. Well, unfortunately, a lot has been happening in the location data space, and it's not about the ability to collect and use data. It's that the location data points have gone from people's offices to people being at home. Talk to me a little bit about how the coronavirus has impacted your business, and are the location signals we're getting just you know beacons pinging from somebody's couch to somebody's refrigerator? What's happening? What data are we able to collect these days? I think we forget the very early days when it was mass rushed to go buy toilet paper. That certainly spiked a lot of things up very early on. Getting lots of locations from, I'm using air quotes here, dad's office, which is you know the bathroom in most people's houses. <laughs> I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but true enough, if you look at the data signals, it almost as soon as they started announcing these lockdowns across the country, dramatic spikes to hard goods, I mean, in toiletries and paper products. Let's actually play through what we saw here, you know, back, God, it's been five months. I can't believe it's been five months since we started talking about the coronavirus. First thing we see is people are rushing to go get their home goods, right? Everybody's stocking up. They might be at home for a little while. What else did we see? We saw that and we saw it with a great frequency. And then obviously we saw the demise of people going into offices, clearly. So almost the entire mobility pattern, you know, within the first week 
of any state or locality announcing a lockdown, it almost parabolically shifted from people actually headed to work and their daily lives to literally the grocery stores and the Walmarts of the world to buy bullet tissues and other products. Okay. So as the pandemic has unfolded, you know, we all sheltered in place, we hurried up, we stocked up, probably some extra traffic to the liquor stores as well as my guess. And then we settled in at home. What were the trends that you saw after the initial shock, the initial announcement of the shelters in place? And it hasn't changed. I think gradually we're getting to some sort of equilibrium here. But obviously, we saw a ton more traffic at things like parks. As you might imagine, people going on walks, people's dogs lost a lot of weight, I think. But it was almost like the entirety of our mobility centricity was focused within a 300-yard radius of our home, minus the occasional jaunts to the grocery stores or the longer walks that we might take on bike paths and other places. That all makes sense. It seems pretty logical that during the pandemic, people's distance, you know, the, the ability for them to really get around the globe and to create data points, maybe the, not the creation of data points, but most of the data points were around the same central location, which is their home. Talk to me a little bit about how that changed consumer behavior. Are we seeing different patterns outside of just mobility that you're aware of? And it's actually starting to emerge in some of the trends that we're seeing today. So on our website, for example, we maintain a set of COVID-related dashboards that actually track a lot of these changes, both by city, by state, by category, by retailer. And one of the things that even people that we're talking to all the time is people, retailers, brands, advertisers are struggling to find out what the new version of consumerism is going to be. It's obvious to say that your location plays a part of that, right? What used to be an easy stop between our home and work for that quick gallon of milk or loaf of bread, that's changed clearly because of location and how we're doing. But also our affinity to brands is changing, right? What do we deem to be important? Socials become a much bigger influence of that, which is influencing our mobility and shopping behaviors. And we're seeing pretty dramatic fluctuations and trend lines starting to form now about what we're calling the new consumerism model is where do we as consumers are starting to spend both our time and ultimately our dollars with our local communities. So when you think about overall consumerism, my understanding for that the coronavirus did not necessarily reduce consumer spending. Maybe that's the stimulus package. People still had some disposable income. I know that the stock market has been high. And unfortunately, we've had a lot of layoffs. And most of those are blue-collar jobs, not white-collar jobs. But a lot of you know marketers as well were affected. Are we seeing more consumption overall? The type of purchases that people are making, has that changed? Yeah. And in fact, in our world, not to bore you with a lot of the details, but we geofence all of these businesses and commercial places of interest. Well, we had to change all of that because people stopped going into stores and retailing and suddenly curbside became this thing. So like the Best Buy beside our office, I don't think they're still letting people in. Maybe they are. I don't know. But now it's order ahead, curbside pickup. So we had to alter how we think and capture foot traffic in the stores because we had to make sure we got the places right up front where all these curbside pickups were occurring. When you think about the industries that have flourished or some of them which have suffered because of the coronavirus, you know, off the top of my head, my guess is that 
high fashion is getting crushed and people are buying more sweatpants. I think that people are probably buying more home goods. They're sitting around at home. It's time to finally get that home office set up, maybe buy a treadmill. Sporting gear is probably doing well. Obviously, the the travel and the hospitality and, and those industries have been negatively impacted. Talk to me about Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Some of the data that you've analyzed that tells you what industries have thrived or suffered as a result of the outbreak? Well, and some of these are where you use a lot of these products. So obviously, the home gyms and the Pelotons of the world are going like crazy. But also, we've seen recreational bicycles. They can't keep them on the shelves. So not only do we know that to be true just from all the reports and analytics, but the bike paths So in the Washington, D.C. area, for example, where we are, there's some pretty prominent bike paths. And there's a ton more traffic on bike paths now that we had historically ever saw before. So they're getting more used. State parks, we see a ton of increased activity in and around state parks, as an example. And it's affecting real estate markets and other things. And somebody told me that all the discretionary dollars that people were spending on vacation planning in the summer is now being spent on vacation homes. Right? People are buying homes and reallocating dollars and spending travel bouncing back forth. Wait, wait. What kind of vacations are people going on where they can replace the vacation with buying a home? I must be doing something <laughs> wrong here. Well, with interest rates so low, maybe that plays into something as well. So it's interesting. Well, maybe we'll see a recoil after all this goes away and people are watching these vacation homes consume discretionary dollars and not being used. Maybe we'll start to sell them. I don't know. Right. Everybody's going to be at the one beach home and they're going to want to go see a different beach. And next thing you know, there's going to be a bazillion Airbnb listings popping up. That's very true. Well, you know, and some of my friends were members of these travel clubs Mm -hmm. and all suddenly there was nowhere to travel. So they canceled all their club memberships and, and, and all these other things. So it's changed dramatically a lot. I think about the way we think about not only the future of how we work and play, but also where we live. 
when we think about the changes in consumer behavior, to me, the most obvious one is, you know, everyone being forced to work from home. And that is just an indication of more of our lives going from, let's call it the real world to the digital world. Talk to me about how that data has manifested itself for Gravy Analytics. You're a location-based data provider. Are you seeing and integrating more offline, online data into your data sets? You know, how are you thinking about merging the two of offline and online data? Yeah, and I think that was particularly true earlier on. You know, some states are phase two or three now in some of their opening plans. So we're starting to see some life again. I'm actually in Florida right now, and I can tell you there's a lot of activity here in Florida. A lot of people are still going out. But I think one big area, I'll just give you an example, is banking. And this is one of those areas where I'm not sure we're ever going to go back to the way things were. But there has been this, what they call a silver adoption curve where the baby boomers were very slow to adopt online banking, very slow to adopt usage of apps and had a frequency pattern to banks um, and all that got obliterated. So what we were and others predicted was a 24 to 36 month evolution of adoption to online banking It happened in 24 weeks. And I'm not sure they're ever going to go back. So as we're seeing the traffic to banking institutions, financial institutions effectively get wiped out, if I'm Capital One or other financial institutions, how do I think about my strategy of the local bank going forward? So talk to me a little bit about what advice you have for marketers. Obviously, for the brands that are targeting the baby boomers, they're not going to be putting billboards in front of the banks anymore. Good tip. (laughs) What are some of the other takeaways that you have for marketers thinking about not only who to target, but where to target them. Some of this is COVID related and other things is, you know, we've had a pretty significant social upheaval in our country. Recently, we have an election coming up. So there's a lot of factors at work here that's influencing our affinity. A lot of crazy shit happening this year. (laughs) And in fact, one of the dashboards that we show our customers is just consumer affinities before and after the lockdowns and how those have changed, not only to location influence things and travel patterns, but just the brands themselves. It's pretty dramatic and different. And there's probably a thousand factors that are contributing to this. But we always say location is ground truth. If you really want to understand my emergent consumer affinities, don't track who I follow on Twitter and aspire to be on Facebook. I will never be the person Facebook thinks I am. I'm just not that interesting. But if you can understand how I'm interacting with my local retailers, with the brands around me, how I interface with all of these things that are done from a location point, it's ground truth. It's first signal. It's very, very indicators, particularly as the country starts to awaken again and some of these places start to open back up. I guess thinking about location data broadly, there is less freedom of movement depending on where you live. You mentioned that you're in Florida right now. They are a little bit more advanced in terms of allowing people to sort of go and do whatever they want. And I'm in Northern California where my county was just put on double secret probation again, and all the restaurants are closed. Talk to me about how you think about targeting from a geographic perspective, knowing that different places are basically operating under different rules. Well, that's where location comes specifically important. And We kind of got educated on this when we were tracking the virus, and some people tracked it with great interest on a daily basis. But we looked at these global U.S. numbers, but it really came down to your county. 
right? And your locality and how they were behaving in the associated lockdown rules. Same way now with school reopenings. It's really a county by county decision because this thing is, it can flare up as a hotspot, you know, three counties away, but your county largely remains dormant or vice versa. So location is a great indicator of that. And location from a, just from a COVID standpoint, right? It becomes a great predictor of where the next logical outbreak is because we certainly can look and see where caseloads are exploding and then understand at an aggregated basis where people have been to and from that have been in those areas. And it's really important from a first responder standpoint, where do I apply resources? Where do I apply testing? Where do I apply education? You know, all these localities are doing contact tracing and how do I apply contact tracing efforts? Because it's just too big a problem to do it 100% manually. Location data is a great indicator, a predictor of outbreaks. How concerned do I have to be living in San Mateo County trying to get just from my home to my private office and back? Yeah, I don't know. Are you walking with a bunch of spring breakers? It's been a couple of years since I've been walking with a bunch of spring breakers. <laughs> Fair enough. That actually brings up a good question is, you know, do you see that different age groups have had different behaviors? Are the kids paying attention to the rules? Are the adults saying, you know what, too bad, I got to go to work and pay the bills? Do you have a sense of who has still been mobile in the time of the coronavirus? Well, it's funny. I used to tell my kids, my kids are all just graduating college now. And I used to tell them, you are biologically unable to process risk appropriately. Just you're not there yet. You were born to be stupid at this age. Well, you see, you say things so much better. Yeah. In general, there's some age demographics that influence patterns for sure. But from a mobility sense, we don't see a disproportionate breakdown on an everyday basis that people are necessarily behaving differently. And frankly, from my anecdotal observances, I think some of our children are some of the most best behaved when it comes to virus and pandemic spreading, right? They get it and they're willing to pitch in and do their part. They could sit and watch Netflix for hours. It's amazing. <laughs> All right, Jeff, we're going to take a break here. We're going to have you come back tomorrow, talk a little bit about the strategy for reopening in the era of the coronavirus. So thanks for joining us. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff White, CEO at Gravy Analytics, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Jeff and I are going to talk about using location data and analytics for reopening strategies. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Jeff, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is JeffWhite1347. That's J-E-F-F-W-H-I-T-E-1347. Or you could visit his company's website, which is gravyanalytics.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You could subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J. S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.
Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.